this morning is you go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have sermon notes, they are in the bulletin. Or the ushers have some. They'll move through the auditorium. Just raise your hand. They'll get those to you. As we do a study here this morning on the Lord's Prayer, we've been continuing here in the last few weeks. We've been doing it. We'll continue for the next few weeks studying this passage. And if you think about prayer, you know that the Bible says that prayer is an important part of our life. In fact, it talks about God promises that prayer can be very impacting when he says that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails or produces much. We go through scriptures, we can find that happening on several occasions. Go all the way back to the Old Testament. Eliezer was supposed to be finding a wife for his master's son, and he didn't know where to go, where to turn, so he prays and he says, Lord, if you you would point this out and provide this gal and help her to be able to do such and such, and he's very specific in his prayer, and sure enough, when she comes up, this gal does exactly what he was praying for to get direction and guidance. She becomes the wife of his master's son. We go through scripture. We read about Jacob wrestling with an angel. And he's got a real problem. He's meeting up with his brother who he has offended, who's sworn to kill him. And it's been 20 years now and they're going to face up with each other. And the next day, and he's not sure how his brother's going to respond. And he's wrestling and praying to the, through this angel that God, I want you to bless me, bless my family, protect us. He meets his brother the next morning and when he meets him he hugs him he rejoices with him he forgives him for having done him wrong with the family inheritance prayer is answered when Joshua is leading the nation into the promised land they get defeated he says God I don't understand why we got beaten at AI would you please reveal what the problem is God reveals it in result in a response to prayer and they find out what Achan has done and because of his uh, his selfishness and his greed, 36 people lost, lost their life. And it's revealed that he's the one, and Joshua in wisdom is able to deal with it. You have Hannah, who's without child. She is brokenhearted. She prays. The, the high priest thinks, or the judge there, thinks that she is, uh, she's drunk. Speaking you know, without, without audibly giving a request, which was uncommon in that day. You didn't pray to yourself. You didn't read to yourself. And she's praying quietly. And she says, no, I'm praying to the Lord. And I'm praying for something to happen that is, seems unusual and odd. And that's for me, who's been barren all these years to have a child. She does. Samuel is born. We have political prayers. We have David praying when he is overthrown by his son Absalom. He prays that his former guide and and chief of staff Ahithophel, that his recommendations, which could be damaging to David, could destroy David because he knows him so well. So God, please make Ahithophel's counsel be turned to naught. Have him give counsel that will be overridden and nobody listens to Ahithophel. And sure enough, as a result, Absalom doesn't listen to Ahithophel. Instead, he listens to other advisors, and there's tragedy that comes to his, to his overthrow. You have occasions where the kings go before God and say, God, we're being attacked. We're, we're being threatened by different nations and different peoples who are having terroristic attacks upon us. Please protect us. You have one such case where the king prays and he says, God, they're right outside the city gates. Protect us from this army of, of tens of thousands. The angel comes that evening and destroys 185,000 of the Assyrians and Israel is saved from that tragedy. You have the accounts where the Jews are being threatened by a holocaust. There in the land that the king has, has signed a law that Mordecai has, um, I'm sorry, um, Haman has got passed. 
He's got it passed, a law that is going to threaten the Jews, their life, their properties. Mordecai asked that, that the Jewish people fast and pray and that somehow God would intervene. And sure enough, it happens is that Haman just, he blows it at the feast he, with the king and the queen. He misconducts himself and as a result, he is put on the gallows that he had intended for the Jews themselves. And the whole thing is turned around. You have politics again under prayer. Nehemiah wants to come back to Israel and rebuild Jerusalem. But, he, but it's illegal at this point. And he prays and he says, oh God, please help these laws to be turned. Help me to get, to get favor in the sight of the king. And sure enough, he comes before the king. The king asks him, what's going on? Can I help you? And he, the king even funds some of the restoration of the city. You have the situation where in the New Testament they're praying when the persecution starts and Peter's in prison. The church gathers together and they're praying for his release and the angel comes in the middle of the night. Nobody sees that the angel is doing it but Peter. The doors are open and Peter is released and comes to where they gather at the prayer meeting. But their response is the prayer meeting is just like yours and mine. When he knocks on the door they say, really? You're really released? What they were asking for happens but they're shocked by it. The point is... Prayer is really, really, really important. It can make a big difference. God has promised it. God has pictured it out throughout the Testament. And he has told us that prayer should be a part of our life. And in fact, when he's preaching about a lot of the different areas of our life we need to work on, he talks about prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be as hypocrites are. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets so that they may be seen of men. Verily, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, enter into your closet, and when you have shut the door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and your Father which sees in secret shall reward thee openly. When you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard because of their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your heavenly Father knows what things you have need of before you ask him, and after this manner therefore pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. What Jesus is saying here is very clear. He wants all of us in this room to be praying. Every single one of us. Not only does he want us to be praying, he wants us to pray effectively. Not just to go through the motions, but to have power in our prayer. So our prayer is making motion happen. And so what he does in this text is he gives us the ingredients of what is involved in improving your prayer life. We looked at one of them. One of them is having a retreat. A time alone with the Lord. Enter into your closet. Spend time. Set aside an area where you can get alone and have those minutes every day with God. We talked about the second one last week, a relationship with God, where he says, our Father. Now in this text, he is using the Greek word, the pater. The elsewhere, he says, use Abba, the Aramaic word. The word that he encourages us to speak in Romans chapter 8, Galatians 4, Galatians 5. That idea of intimacy. 
There's an old story that comes out of ancient Rome that was told about even in the early church to illustrate this idea of a closeness. The emperor was traveling through the streets of Rome in parade. The crowds were gathered. They were cheering and they were celebrating. Soldiers were lined up so as to clear the way and to make a path and so nobody could get to the emperor. One little boy all of a sudden tried to sneak underneath the, show, the, the soldiers, their shields and their, their arms with their posture. One of the guys reached out, grabbed the young man and said, son, son, you can't go out there. You know, that's the emperor. And he turned to him, he said, that may be your emperor, but he's my dad. And with that, he saw his dad. His dad waved him up into his chariot. And there was that boy turning back to the soldier, smiling widely because he had a relationship with the emperor. So you can go to God because you have a relationship with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and you need to approach Him and say, Abba, Father, here I come to worship you. Now you also, number three, need to have a reverence when you come to prayer. Jesus is going to mention this in different ways. But He stresses what we want to look at this morning when He says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. What exactly is that? What does He mean by that phrase, hallowed be thy name? Well, the word comes from, literally, the idea of holy, the hagiadzo. It has the idea of, and it's usually translated, let your name be holy is the idea, or be separated. We understand that the word means to be set apart, to be dedicated unto something, to be elevated above that which is common, that which is normal. The idea here is to be lifted up. God, I want you to be lifted up above all that is around you, all that is around me. And so he's praying and he's saying, Lord, please do this. He uses an imperative with God. Like a command, if you and I were talking, that's what we call the imperative. It's an order. Or when it's talking about an inferior, speaking to a superior, it would be a, a plea, an urgent plea, a stressing plea. Please let this happen. Now, something else that's odd, he uses the middle voice. That is the middle or passive here. That, that translates both. The idea here is please let this happen to you. Or in other words, please let me do this to you. And so it's a strong verb. Urgency. God, I want you to be hallowed. I want you to be lifted up. And I want your name to be lifted up. Now when we talk about his name, the question is which one? God has many names. He's got the Yahweh. He's got the Jehovah. He's got the El Shaddai. El Elyon. He's got, he's got Jesus. He's got Christ. Which name are we supposed to be praying, hallowed be your name? I'm not so sure if it's a name. I think it has a different idea, actually. An idea that's founded more in Bible days. You see, today when we name children names, we look at what sounds right, what goes together, how, not necessarily their meanings. I know my parents had no idea when they were naming me based on meanings. Wayne means wagon maker. How that would be ever fit, I have no idea. Okay? But today, we go by sounds and sounds only. Back in Bible days, they would go by character, trait, appearance, family history, what this person was to be doing. And so you have that throughout scriptures. You have that idea when it says name, it's referring to much more than like in this case, D-A-V-I-D. When David was with the Philistines, it talks about, or when he was fighting with them, that he went out and he conducted himself in such a way that they said that his name was esteemed. They're not talking about D-A-V-I-D. They are talking about his reputation. 
when it says his name is esteemed. They're talking about his valor, his conduct. You have that same thing when God comes to Moses and he is going to see him. Moses has pled, can I see you? God says, we can't look at me or you die. But if I'm going to hide you in a cleft in a rock and when I pass by, I'll let you see my backside. And I'm going to speak to you when I do that. And I'm going to proclaim the name of the Lord. Interesting. That when God passes by, what is it that God proclaims? He says, I'm going to proclaim the name of the Lord. The passage says, as God passed by, he said, The Lord, the Lord God is merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy. He is listing his attributes. He is listing his virtues when he is proclaiming his name. He is describing who he is and what he is. So reference to name is the person. We find that in Psalms. They know your name. Those who know your name will put their trust in him. The idea is those who know not how to spell G-O-D or Yahweh or Jehovah, but the idea is those who know who God is. The name referring to his, vir- his person, his virtue, his traits. Oh, you have that elsewhere. The nation shall fear the name of the Lord. You really? Are they going to fear if we just say G-O-D, God? No, no. The idea is when they fear the name of the Lord, they fear the God who is all-powerful. They will one day anyway. The idea of who he is, what he is. We have that when Jesus is ministering. Jesus is saying, I have manifested your name, Father, to all the people. Does that mean that Jesus walked around and said, God, 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 Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh? No. It has the idea that when he came, that his life was full of God's attributes, grace, and truth. So that when he's wrapping up his ministry, he basically says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That's how he proclaimed or manifested the Father's name by revealing who God was, what God is, the person of God. So to manifest somebody's name is to basically make them to be known about their virtues. That goes like this. We have a passage that some people are confused about. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Does that mean that as long as somebody uses Jesus, they're automatically saved? I know a lot of people who say Jesus and they are not praying. And they are, they are not saying it in reverence. But just throwing out the name. I know a lot of people are gathering here in Lebanon as well as elsewhere today. And they are in churches and they are saying Jesus, but they are not believing in him. They're saying his name, but they're trusting that their baptism will get them to heaven. They're trusting that their going to church will get them to heaven. Some of them are trusting that if they say canned prayers, they'll get into heaven. That's not what he means like this. by this. When he says, those who call upon his name, the idea is calling upon his person. He is who he is and what he has done. So when we talk about the name of Jesus and calling upon him to get saved, that means you need to ask him who has died for you and given his life for you to offer you the forgiveness that he has purchased, to give you the holiness that he possesses so as to change you and make you God's child so that one day when you pass from this earth, you will be able to be in heaven. You'll be saved from the penalty of your sins. That is calling upon the name of the Lord. You are calling upon him as a person to give you forgiveness as you repent of your sins. 
And so we have that idea back in Matthew when he says, hallowed be your name. It is the idea of basically, let me exalt you as a person. Let me exalt you for your attributes, your virtues. That I don't curse and cuss. That's an obvious. We're not supposed to do and use the Lord's name in vain. But the idea here is let yourself be lifted up. Let who you are, what you have done be elevated by me or through me. Let praise come to you. Let you be lifted up and exalted to be magnified. How would that work? Exactly what does hallowed be your name mean when it comes to your prayer life? How would that look in your everyday life when you're supposed to pray daily? Let me hallow you. Let me honor you. Let me exalt you. What would that do if you keep this in mind the way Jesus says? How would that affect your prayer life? I think there are several ways it would. In several practical ways. I think number one, that reverence would be this. You would approach God in a respectful fashion. In other words, you when you come to prayer would not just rush in and very flippantly come in and talk to God and then run out. Do you remember that when Moses approached God at the burning bush, God said, take off your shoes because you are on holy ground. We read in the book of Isaiah that when Isaiah was in the presence of God, he heard the angels calling out, holy, holy, holy. He falls down as a dead man because as he says, I am a man of unclean lips. He is profoundly affected by being in the presence of God Almighty. I think this, I think hallowed be your name means that when we pray, we should be respectful. In our approach to God, we shouldn't be flippant. We should seriously consider who we are talking to. That he isn't just, just a, the guy that we can say, oh, hey, bless this food and bless, bless this real quickly and then run in and run out. There should be thought given. We're talking to the God of the universe. We're talking to the most holy of holy ones. When we approach a human authority, we would be respectful. We wouldn't be arrogant in our attitude or our tone. But when you pray, are you respectful? When you pray and when you come by your posture, by your attitude, by your appearance, are you showing respect to God Almighty? Are you coming in real quickly and just saying, God, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, and give him a grocery list like you would when you call the local store to say, here's my list of groceries I'd like you to gather together and I'll pick them up at such a time. I fear that sometimes when I pray, I do that. I fear that there are moments that I'm in such a hurry that even with God, I am in a hurry with him without hallowing his name. But Jesus said, if I want to be more effective in my prayer life, you and I need to hallow his name. Show respect. Pause. Consider who you are talking to. I think we need to give this more thought. When we pray as a group, when we pray as individuals, that we consider that he isn't just a God. He is our creator. He is holy. We need to be respectful. Hallowed be thy name, I think, says this. It says that when we come to prayer, we should take time. That we take moments to exalt him during our prayer time. Hallow thy name. Lift you up. Exalt you. The very first of the recommendations given by Jesus Christ.
The very first of the commands in this prayer, beyond when you pray, Jesus says, you need to pray this way. God, hear. Help me. I plead with you. My very first, my very first earnest desire is, more than anything else, help me to exalt you. Help me to exalt and praise you. Now, this praise and adoration was a characteristic of, of those who were prayer warriors through scriptures. You can go all the way back to Jesus. And Jesus, when he is at the tomb of Lazarus, he is in his heart, paining, crying outwardly over the death of Lazarus, he still takes time to give praise to God. Father, I thank you. I thank you. There is adoration in his prayer. We can go in the Old Testament and find somebody who's in the most difficult of situations, found himself in the belly of the fish, there with the stench, with the stomach acids, with all the other stuff that's in this, in this fish's belly, Jonah is going to pray. And when he prays, I will sacrifice unto you the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. He didn't start off saying, get me out of here. There was a time of reflecting upon and exalting who God is. We can jump into the Old Testament where Daniel's life is threatened. If you don't tell me what my dream is, you and all the other wise men will die. Daniel goes to prayer. And in a panicked moment, he starts his prayer. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And talks about God's attributes, God's abilities. Later on, when he's an old man, he does the same thing. It's against the law to pray, to pray to anybody but the king. He prays and he starts off, O oh Lord, the great and dreadful God, how in the world could you let this law be passed? No. O oh God, dreadful God, who keeps the covenant and the mercy to them that love him. There is an adoration, even as he prays, in a crisis situation. We have Jeremiah, who is prophesied and then sees the destruction of his beloved Jerusalem. He is brokenhearted and he says, Lord God, behold, you have made heaven and earth by your great power and stretch out arms. There is nothing too hard for you. You have showed grace to thousands. And doesn't attack, doesn't accuse, doesn't question, but he exalts God in his prayer time. In the book of Acts, they're starting to experience some persecution. It's going to get worse. But when they gather as a group, they start off saying, Lord, you are God. You have made the heaven and the earth and the sea. And they rehearse in their minds what, the, uh, what God has done and his greatness. I think that helps them when they pray. When they are asking for great things to be done, they have already reminded themselves of the great one they're talking to. And how great he has been. So before you ask things, make it a part of your prayer life by following the recommendation of Jesus. Take time to approach God properly and address him in a proper, respectful fashion. Take time to thank him. Give him praise for what he has done. Take time to, moments, rehearse his attributes. Even talk about hallowing his name. Do what he did. Talk and say, God, I thank you that you are almighty, all-powerful. You are holy. You are righteous. God, I thank you that you are the creator. It will help you to remember who you are talking to and what he can do as you bring the rest of your request to him. It might be helpful in your prayer time to sing a hymn of praise to him, to exalt him before you give him your list of what you want. 
And I would recommend periodically take a prayer time. A day a week, once a week, at least every month. And have nothing of request but only of praise. And exalt him and magnify him. For the Lord loves to hear from you. When you talk about what, what you appreciate about him. So in your approach to him, hallowing his name, be respectful. Number two, we said exalt him. I think this is a part of it too. And this is becoming so deep right now that I fear it's going to go over some of your heads. That I'm not going to be able to explain it clearly. Not that you can't understand, but that I'm going to really fumble over trying to explain this. When you pray, remember that the primary goal for your life is to glorify God. You see, when he says the very first thing he's recommending that you talk about is saying, please God, help me to exalt you. That makes perfect sense because that is what we are here for. In fact, if you go through the Old Testament, this is, or the, the, both the Testaments, you'll find that this is why God created you. God created you not to have fun. Not to have life experiences. And there's nothing wrong with those things. God didn't create you to make money. God didn't create you to have the world's greatest vacations. God created you and me for this reason. Oh Lord, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. You have created all things, including you and me, for your pleasure. That's why we exist. That's why we were saved. He bought us with the price. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which you have of God. You're not your own. You are bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. That's why you're saved. You're not saved just so you can get out of hell and then live the way you want. You're saved to bring glory to God. You have been predestinated, according to Romans 8, to be conformed to the image of his son, to mimic him, to model him, to magnify him. That's the purpose of our existence. So when we come to pray, I see why Jesus would say, the very first thing you should do is remind yourself why you are here. You are here to magnify God. In fact, Jesus made this clear. He said that my ministry is one to glorify God. He is talking in John chapter 12, just days before he's going to die. And he is torn in his spirit and in his heart. He talks about his soul being troubled, being ripped apart. It's going to be ripped apart even more when he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says, okay, my soul is troubled. So what should I say? Because I am at distress, because what God has sent me to do, what should I do? Shall I say, God, rescue me from this hour. Take me away from this. Remove all the difficulty. No. For this cause, this reason, I came. I came to glorify God, and I am going to do it. I am going to give my life, pay for sin, to bring glory to God. Father, glorify your name in me. That's his purpose. That was his goal. That was the man we're supposed to follow in example is to give our lives whatever it may cost, whatever it requires us to do, to glorify the Father. In fact, when Jesus talks about praying, when he is with his disciples in the upper room, he tells them, whatever you ask, I will do. I will answer your prayers. But did you ever read on 
beyond the promise of answering prayer, what he says in the next phrase, that the Father may be glorified. Answered prayer is all about glorifying God. That's our goal. That's the reason we exist. So when we come and pray, he says, you should incorporate this into your prayer, into your time of prayer. Hallowed be your name. Some way, somehow, remind yourself that the purpose for your existence is so that you would become more like God. The purpose for you praying is so that you understand who you are before God Almighty. In fact, the purpose of you praying is to bring Him glory, not you stuff. It's to exalt Him. I, I have a toolbox that looks like this. Nobody else in this room does, I'm sure. But I've got more bent screwdrivers, more broken wrenches, for one reason. I use the tools for things they're not made for. My wrenches pound nails. My screwdrivers, they pry out stuff that they're not designed to pry out. So I've got this toolbox with a lot of broken tools. I can get the job done yet. I can take the parts and still pound. But it sure takes me a lot longer than it would if I used them the right way. And I've got a lot of these handicapped tools in my toolbox because I'm too cheap to replace them. And besides, they still bend. So they still got life to them until they're totally bent. That's the way some of us approach God. God, you have a purpose for me, but it's okay if I change the purpose. If I bend it or I break and I don't do the way you wanted, and God, you can still get the job done. Really? Wouldn't it be much better if you lived up to the purpose for, what you, for why you were created and why you exist? To bring him glory in your body? To bring him glory in your speech, in your conduct, in your dress? To bring him glory the way you work, the way you raise your kids, the way you handle your marriage, even your marriage difficulties? That you bring it to a place where you are glorifying and magnifying his name in front of others? The way you respond to your parents. Your, the way you treat your siblings, your brothers, your sisters, your cousins. That you would magnify the name of Christ. The way you forgive. The way that you are handling things with integrity. The way you talk. The jokes you tell. Instead of being bent and broken. You can be used by God Almighty if you remember the purpose, why you exist, why you've been saved. is to bring Him glory every day. You should be reminding yourself by incorporating into your prayer time moments where you basically say, hallowed be thy name. Which brings me to another thought very close to it. Not only does this hallowed be thy name, would it remind you of the purpose you exist, but can I take it a step further and muddy the waters a little bit more? That's the primary purpose that you should focus on when you are praying for things. Let me, let me explain it this way. When you pray, your prayer is primarily not for your benefit. It is to bring glory to God. When you pray, the primary purpose of your prayer, Jesus is saying, the very first thought in your mind shouldn't be, so I get things. It should be, so I give glory to God. What a difference it would make in our prayer life. That even when we are involved with prayer, we would purpose to say, I want to glorify God. And this doesn't always happen. The people that he's talking to, in their prayer life, they prayed a whole lot more than most of us pray. They prayed daily three times. 
They would fast two different days of the week. The majority of us don't do that. And yet Jesus was offended by their prayers because when they prayed, most of their prayer was for their own personal benefit. It was to show off to others. Verse 5. It was to get whatever they wanted. It was to just impress. And while they're praying, they weren't saying, I'm willing to change. I'm willing to become different. I'm willing to become more like you. Instead, when they prayed, it was a list or a canned prayer, a memorized prayer, to just get what they wanted, to impress other people. And he says, that's just wrong. That's just wrong. And I wonder if we don't do the same thing sometimes. We pray to impress in the restaurant. We pray to impress our family. And yet there's not in our own prayer time, time taken to really glorify God, magnify God, and even what we bring to Him in requests, we pause and think, is this request going to glorify you? We give them. We say them. But do we put a condition to say, as long as this glorifies you? I think that's what he's saying. I think hallowed be your name is basically saying that when I pray, this prayer time is my moments to glorify God. Not just in my life, but through my lips right now. This prayer time, even though it's okay for me to ask for things, during this prayer time, I should have a spirit of submission. Father, I wish you would help this, this job to come to pass. If it glorifies you. Father, I want you to just to guide and direct in my choice of college, career. But I want most of all that it hallows your name. Not that it gives me money. That's not my primary. That it hallows your name. Getting money is okay. But it has to hallow your name. God, I pray that you would help this business deal to go through. To be sealed. Help this house deal. This car purchase we're making. Give us wisdom so that it glorifies your name. So that it magnifies you. Lord, help us with this family problem. Not just so that I have peace of heart. That's true, we would. God, I pray more than anything else that you are glorified by how we conduct ourselves now and in the future. Father, we pray. We pray for our kids to get right with you. We pray for our siblings to get right with you. Not so that we don't have to put up with all their garbage anymore. But more than anything that it magnifies you. God I pray. Help me get an A or a really good grade on this test. Which would really be a good thing to do. Because it get my mom and dad off my back. But more than anything God. That I would magnify you. What a difference it would make in how we view things in our life. And Jesus is saying every day when you pray, you should recognize your purpose. But even when you are praying, remembering what you are praying for should magnify him. Hallow his name. Bring glory to him. So that you understand that as you are seeking for provision, most of all, you want him to be honored. That you want him to be pleased. That God, as I pay my bills, I am honoring your name. You see, it's not about me. 
enjoying, experiencing, and getting relief. It's about God being magnified. It's not about me and you having cures and having problems taken away. It's God being glorified. Magnified by how we act, what we do. Which leads to another thought here. When we pray, hallow thy name, I think what we're doing, what it would help us to do, is to plead for his help to avoid doing those things that would diminish his glory. We are reminded when we do this act of hallow be your name, that it's about you. That the follow-up of what I'm going to pray for is about your glory. That I need your help not to diminish your glory. Maybe I can, maybe I can picture it by giving you an example. An example of a man of God who served God But boy, did he have a down moment. He is frustrated by the people who are with him. They have really ticked him off. They have pushed his buttons to the point that he is fed up. And God says, speak to the rock and the water will come. He is so angry with these people. So upset with them that when he comes to the rock, he does what he did years before. He hits the rock. God had said, speak to it. But he hits the rock and says, shall I and God have to do this? And in that moment, God is offended. And God says to him afterwards, because you believed me not, to sanctify me, to elevate me, to make me holy, to hallow me before the people. In other words, what you did, Moses is you took too much glory to yourself. You didn't magnify me the way you were supposed to. As a result, you're not going in the promised land. Woo, what a payment. What a penalty, what a punishment. A punishment for treading upon God's glory. Making it about himself. Oh God, please. When we sing, when we play, when I teach... Bless this lesson. Why? For your glory, not me. It's about you, God, magnifying you. And I don't want to tread upon your glory in any way, shape, or form. So God, help me not to tread upon your glory. When I pray, hallow thy name, I'm reminding myself to be ever so careful that it is about him being glorified, him being magnified, not about my fun. And though I'll tell you this in all honesty... Living for Christ is the most fun you'll have in the entire world. However, it's not about us having fun or having money or having life experiences. It's about bringing glory to the the person who has created us and magnifying the man that he sent to this earth. Modeling him. Not marring his image, his reputation. Not tearing down his name. Have you ever gone to a place and get really bad service? We went to a, a local fast food place this week. And, and the food was great. The service stank. It's terrible. We got the, what we had ordered. We got the, the pulled pork sandwich. Isn't there supposed to be a drink with it? Oh, yeah, we forgot. Isn't there supposed to be chips with it? Oh, yeah, we forgot. Oh, yeah, well, by the way, what drink did you order? We weren't the only ones. The other three customers in this place all had the same experience, walking away with half orders. To the point that after that happened, I said to my wife, I don't think I'll go there again. Why? The food was okay. 
but it was lousy service. And it could be the, the, only those two employees that worked in such and such a date. But is that all it takes at times to give the business a bad reputation? It's what it does. You go to a restaurant, you get lousy service, it might be that they're having a bad hair day. But if they treat you poorly, you just lump up with that whole business. You lump it up with the clerk at the counter. You lump it up with the serviceman that comes to your door. You lump it up with the insurance agent. And you just, okay, that's it. I'm never going to do Allstate. I don't care whose hands I'm in. Okay? That, that, that was a lousy agent. You do that when you purchase vehicles. When you get your car serviced. You make summary based upon one experience or even one person's treatment. You know that happens all the time with schools. People will look at a student, and if the student is conducting themselves in a very, a very improper, unsocial way, the comments can easily be, I wonder if all the students are like that. True, false, does that happen? We gauge that way. Do you think it ever happens with churches? That if there's one person who's a jerk, then everybody in that whole congregation is a jerk? And people say they should change it to jerk Baptist church. Do people ever do that? The answer is yes. Do you think it is ever done, ever, ever done, when somebody looks and says, well, if that's the way a Christian is, count me out. That is not hallowing his name. That is marring his name. How does that happen? Oh, so many simple things that we oftentimes say they're not important, but they are they are so important that he talks about some of those very things in the context of this prayer passage. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. How you should conduct yourself. And he tells us, stay away from these things. And when we take time to say, God, please help me to hallow your name, we are reminding ourselves. Our purpose here is not for self. Our prayer time is not about me getting what I want. It's for his glory. My lifestyle is fragile. I need your help so I do hallow your name and not hurt your name. Instead, what we need to do is say, oh God, please, help me to reflect you. Help me to mimic you. Help me to do what is right what is proper, what is attractive, which brings glory to your name and makes it more beautiful. Like Titus 2 says, that we may adorn the gospel of Christ even by the way we work, the way we study, the way we talk to each other, the way we treat our spouse, our kids, our parents. When he prays this and recommends we pray this, he is giving us a whole challenging itinerary of thoughts that it's not just run in and let's just pray quickly. Because God says he'll do whatever we ask. So let's just ask it. No. We're supposed to take time to pause. We're supposed to know that if we want impacting prayer life, that what we do is we come respectfully to God. We should take moments where we are praising him and exalting him. We should pause during that time and reflect my goal in life is to glorify you. The reason I am praying is to magnify you, so that affects what I'm going to ask. I cannot ask you to honor sin. I cannot ask you to help me to get away with something. 
I cannot ask you to help me to be greedy or selfish or materialistic. I cannot ask you to help me to be elevated for my glory. This is for you. This is about you. And I need your help to do what is right that magnifies your name. To do this, you need to take time. You need to not run into prayer and do the American fast food thing and microwave your prayer time. You need to take time. You need to give it thought. You need to drop the canned, repetitious statements that you may use. And you need to open up your heart and to speak to God. Now that won't happen unless you're a child of His. Because you don't even have an opportunity. Because you have no relationship with Him. You need to be born again. You need to ask Christ to give you forgiveness of sin and to make you his child, his brother, his sister, so that then you can come to the Father and glorify him. And the way you can best glorify him this day is that you need to respond to Christ and ask him to save you. In a moment or so, we're going to be singing a song. And those of you who are unsure that you are on your way to heaven, we're having staff head over to that door right now. They're going to be in that hallway and they will pray with you. They will talk with you. They will show you exactly what you need to do to glorify him by becoming his child. The rest of us, we talked about glorifying God. Before we get involved with the rest of this day, let's do it. Let's glorify God. We can do it in a prayer. A prayer that we sing to God Almighty. A prayer of worship. A prayer of praise. A prayer of reflection, of thinking what God has done for us, what he means to us, that we magnify him, that we glorify him. If you want to go and pray with somebody, you can do that while we sing about our great God.